following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4, take the outline that you were given, kind of track with us this morning. Back when they had newspapers... Uh, In the old days, the Chicago Tribune told this true story of a woman who was frying up her tortillas at home, and as she's grilling them on a skillet, she looked down and there was a face on the tortilla, and she was convinced instantly that it was a miracle and that the face was the face of Jesus. And she was so excited, she showed her husband, and he goes, yes, that's the face of Jesus. Now, I'm wondering how they knew. But anyway, this burn marks were very unique. So she took the tortilla, took it out of the pan, and basically took it to her priest. And she wanted the priest to bless the tortilla. And he was unaccustomed to doing that. And she said, well, but I have been a much more happy wife, a peaceful wife, a submissive wife because of the tortilla. And the husband said, yes, my wife has been changed because of the tortilla. So he blessed the tortilla. She took the tortilla home. She put it, this is all true, in a glass case, put little uh, cotton balls underneath so it looked like it was floating on clouds. And then she built a shrine around it and she opened the shrine to the public. Within three months, 8,000 people had come to worship the Jesus of the tortilla, which caused me to think, well, wait a minute, they're worshiping a tortilla, or a burn marks on a tortilla, and I'm thinking, well, is that worship? What is worship? And do we, as Christians, understand worship? Well, we're living in a day that even some of the basic things about Christianity and our faith are being misconstrued, even by Christians, And so, I like to ask you, are we worshiping the right God for the right reasons in the right way? Are we really doing that? What is worship? Really, what is it? And should we be doing it differently? You say, well, I know what worship is. Worship is when we sing and when we pray. Well, somebody else might say, no, it's when I have a spiritual feeling in my heart. That's what worship is. Others would say, well, no, real worship is when I sing the hymns of the faith, or when I sing the choruses, or when it's really, really quiet. Others would say, when it's really loud and celebratory, that's when it's worship, meaning it's only worship when it's the style that I like. Some would say, it's well, it's singing, it's praying, it's offerings, it's preaching. Those are all what make up individual and corporate worship. Still others would say, worship is every day, moment by moment, offering to the Lord as we walk through life that only intensifies when we gather together. But what is it? What is it? Well, it's incredibly important that we ask ourselves, what is worship? And we define that for ourselves. And because of an astonishing fact that occurs in the Bible in John chapter 4 when Jesus is dealing with the woman at the well. He defines worship for us and he's speaking to the Samaritan woman and he is saying to her some remarkable, dramatic things 
about worship that I want you to read aloud with me from your outline so we can read it together. So let's take it and read this portion of Scripture and learn what real worship is. Ready? Here we go. Together. You worship that which we do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Interesting enough, what I believe this passage is teaching us is that Christ is establishing the astonishing fact that worship is the single most important thing that you can do. You say, well, how do you base that on? You can search the Old Testament, you can search the New Testament, you will never find God seeking anything from His worshipers except for worship. Except this passage. God seeks for nothing. We're, we're created for good works, right? We are saved by faith and then that manifests good works. Amen? Okay, all three of you, good. So we're instructed to evangelize and disciple. That's part of our purpose. We're called to holiness. Obedience is really what is God calling us to, you know, do and commanding us to do in His Word. But the people that God actively seeks are those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. As the Westminster Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Because worship, I believe, is the single most important activity of the believer this morning, I want to challenge you to the quality and the integrity of your worship. This is crucial. Because it's not necessarily always what we know that's important, but what we do with what we know. That we're actually living it out. And this is crucial because we need to be asking ourselves the questions, do I worship correctly? Do I worship the right God? Do I worship for the right reasons? And do I worship the right way? Those are the three points today. I'll go over them simply. Point number one in your outline. Let's track through this passage. Are we worshiping the right God? The right God. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, probably the greatest Jew of his day. An amazing man of God. And now in contrast to that, in John chapter 4, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. She's a half-breed. Alright? She is rejected. She is hated. She's half-Gentile, half-Jew, half-breed. And as we approach verse 22 to 24, we find that this woman has been verbally sparring with Jesus. Now when you spar with Jesus, will you win? Yes or no? No. You're not gonna, and she's not gonna, but she doesn't want to deal with her obvious acts of adultery, with her divorces, she doesn't want to deal with her current fornication, so she quickly changes the subject, attacking the Jewish faith, and on the basis that, you know, you can't worship here, and she's trying to put Jesus on the defensive to deflect her own responsibility for her own sin. Now, as a Samaritan, she couldn't go to Jerusalem to worship. In fact, they weren't welcome there. So she's attacking the teaching that worship must only occur in Jerusalem in verse 20. Jesus says to her in verse 21, very soon every tribe, every nation will worship God the Father, everyone together, not just being in Jerusalem, 
not just where they are in Samaria. By the way, one of the places that you can actually be at the well that Jesus is having this conversation. Sadly, they covered it with a church, but it is the well that occurred in that particular moment. And if the church wasn't covering it, you'd look right up there and there'd be Mount Gerizim where they have their Samaritan worship. And Jesus is saying, look, you worship a, that which you do not know and we worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. The key point is it's not where, but how and what. Worship is not where, here or there. Worship is not in a building. That's not worship. Okay? Are you with me on that? I mean, come on, Faith Bible Church, you have to say amen to that. Right? Worship is not at a football stadium. Worship is not in a gym. Worship is not in a performing arts center. That's not worship. That's just the building. That's the place. And Jesus is explaining that. And if you only worship here, you don't understand true worship. You really don't. Biblical worship, the worship that God is seeking from you. Worship is a process and a person, a how and a what. So Jesus says, look, you don't know. You don't know what you're doing. Jesus is saying that because the Samaritans have basically been rejected, so they invented their own worship. They're not following the clear teaching of the Old Testament. They're not following God's plan. They are worshiping a God of their own imagination. They made up, made up their own system of worship. But the Jews, we worship the God revealed us to in the Old Testament who promises He will bring us salvation through the Jewish race. It's of the Jews. Jesus is saying to her, you're not worshiping the true God. You're not doing it right. The first key to true worship, the very thing that God the Father is seeking from you, His children, if you're born again here today, are you worshiping the right God? He says, you're worshiping a God to the Samaritan woman. You don't know. A God that you made up. This is so fashionable today. People are making up their own form of Christianity. It's not just the false faiths that are out there, but there's so much pseudo-Christianity. An imaginary God. A God that you invented. But we, Jesus says, we worship a God who's revealed Himself, is knowable, is personal, and intimate. So the question He's asking her is, what God do you worship? Who do you worship? Now, is Jesus a good man, a great teacher, a moral man, a prophet, or is he God incarnate? Which God do you worship? Is he the one who has no claim on your life? It's just God and a religion whether you can pick or choose. Or is he the one who calls you to love him more than any other relationship and to prove that love by following him in obedience? Is he a God who must make you comfortable? Because when you're uncomfortable, it can't be God. And solve all your problems. Or, is this the God who calls you to bear your cross? To suffer for His sake and maybe even be persecuted? Is He the one who promises you a house and two cars? Or is He the God who says, I want to use all your wealth and all your possessions for my glory. In fact, be willing to use all your money, all your time all your possessions for my glory. Which God do you worship? Is it the God of Larry Flint? Do you know who Larry Flint is? He wrote and published Hustler magazine. It was on trial for being abundantly gross and porno pornographic. And on the stand, his last statement that Larry Flint made was, if Jesus Christ were alive today, he would read Hustler magazine. Is that the God you worship? 
Do you worship the God of the captain of the Titanic? You know what he said? God himself could not sink this ship. Hmm. Right? What God do you worship? How big is he? Are you worshiping the God of the disobedient little boy? You say, what little boy? He's sitting at dinner. He's got all his food on his plate. There's two little prunes sitting there. His parents want him to eat the prunes for obvious reasons. And he won't eat them. And so they say, God doesn't like little boys that don't eat their prunes and disobey their parents. So we want you to go to your room. You're kind of now on restriction. Go up there. And basically, he goes up there. And about, oh, 30 minutes later, this massive storm breaks out. It's one of those that rocks the house. The thunder, the lightning, it's ongoing. It's kind of scary. So mom's a little worried. So she goes into the room to see how he's doing. Is he hiding under the covers of his bed? She goes in. He's not even in his bed. He's over by the window of his room looking out at this storm that's just lightning and flashing and crashing and all that kind of stuff. As she walks up behind him, she hears him say this as he's looking out at the storm. My, my, such a big fuss over two little prunes. Okay? Is that the God you worship? Is that the one? Understand, which God do you worship? Is he your cosmic buddy? Or is he your creator, master, lord, and king? Do you worship the right God? You're saying, Chris, could you objectify that, make that easier for me to understand, a little more concrete so I can answer honestly? I believe I can. I've given you some tests in your outline. Follow with me those four tests. Here they are, test number one. Are you constantly learning? If you're worshiping the right God, are you constantly learning? Because if the Bible is God's self-revelation, and it is, and God is unlimited, and He is, then you should always be learning something new because you can never plumb the depths of this particular book. Therefore, there's always something more and greater and profound to learn about God. There are unlimited possibilities. Therefore, when you look at this book, when you read this book, when you study this book, are you looking at the printed page or are you looking at the printed page into the face of Christ? Is it truly... Uh, a door that you're hitting up against or is it a window that you can see Christ through? Do you look beyond the printed page into the face of Christ? That's the Bible. Test number two. Do you have a sense of wonder? A sense of wonder. This is almost lost today in Christendom. Wonder would be like if you're on a very, very tall building, you know, 20 stories up and you're at the edge and there's no railing, it kind of sucks you in, doesn't it? You, you're, you're a little bit overwhelmed. It may even make you dizzy, make you step back, etc. That's a sense of wonder or awe. Is that true if you're worshiping the true God? You're going to have that sense of He's big. He's really big. He's awesome. He's in control. I mean, look at the Apostle John and his reaction to Jesus Christ. When you read in the Gospels, what's he do? At the Last Supper, he, he actually leans his head up against Jesus' shoulder and 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 chest, and yet when he sees Christ and Patmos in his resurrected, glorified form, how does he react to Christ? He falls down on his face in a dead faint. That's the God we worship. Christ was veiled in his earthly ministry. When he's unveiled, that's, that's the Christ you're going to see. You will not see the Christ of the Gospels. I'm sorry. You will not. You will see the Christ unveiled in all his glory amen he's big he's awesome and john who knew him best couldn't even stand in his presence what about peter and here he is in the storm in the boat and the text tells us that peter is afraid and then jesus stands up what's he go be calm 
and it turns to glass. Now, the, the storms on the Sea of Galilee are nothing to laugh at. They will swamp any boat. They are savage. The wind comes blowing through at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, and it is bad. And Jesus goes, beep, and whoosh. And you know what it says about Peter? In the boat during the storm, he was afraid. And after that happened, it says he was exceedingly afraid. He understood who Christ is. Do you understand who Christ is? That's the question. Do you understand and have a sense of wonder? Test number three, are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming more like Christ? Worship is being in the presence of God. When we're in His presence, we cannot help but become more like Him. When you worship Him, you become... Listen, when my boys were young, they, they would imitate me. I would be silly, so my boys would be what? Silly, right? And if I was super caring and kind, they would be super caring and kind. They would imitate me. When I actually, I remember this vividly, I was struggling over a certain politician who happened to be president at that particular time a long time ago and really agonized through it, having a discussion at dinner, nothing that I would ever do in a public setting or whatever. I'm just, just really working it through. And, and my boys, the very next day, they go out and they just reamed that guy to all their friends. Because they were with their dad. And, and dad wasn't really happy. Tracking with me? As God's children, we're the same. When we're in his presence, when we dwell with him in worship, we become more like him. Are you worshiping the right God? Number four, test. Ready? Does anything get more focused than Christ? <clears throat> Does anything get more focused than Christ? Take a spiritual inventory have you been influenced to worship the wrong God? That's what the Bible calls idolatry. You know what that is. Idolatry, what is it? It is excessive devotion to anything, anyone, any place, anywhere, anything that takes God out of His rightful place as priority in your life, in your thoughts, and in your actions. Are you getting it? Anything that takes the place of your devotion that you should be giving to God himself. In fact, the Bible warns us repeatedly about idols of the heart, internal longings even, that we don't live out, but we long for them, that those are actually offensive to the Lord as he knows our hearts. My, one of my favorite passages is Psalm 50:21. You see it there in your outline. When God talks to Israel, and he says, you, Israel, and individual you know, followers, you thought that I, God, was just like you. And here's the danger. You know the danger. We project on God who we are. We project on God our weaknesses or our preferences. And we make Him, in a sense, into our image when actually it's the reverse. Right? God is unique. He's holy. He's different. He is, yes, we're made in His image, but He is definitely unique. And we project on God our weaknesses, our faults, our misrepresentations. And sometimes we, we think we you know, worship convenience. We worship comfort. We worship ease. And so we make God the God who provides all those things and we don't understand what it means to run our race, to die daily, to have spiritual warfare. Understand, be careful. Are you worshiping the right God? Now back to John 4. We looked at our tests. The first challenge that Jesus gives us is are we worshiping the right God? Not going to the church of the right God. Not having 
you know, thoughts and knowing about the right God, not owning a Bible about the right God, but are we worshiping the right God? Do we see Him for who He really is as He's revealed Himself? Number two in your outline, stay with me, are we worshiping the right God for the right reasons? The right God for the right reasons. Well, Jesus says in verse 23, but an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Say that again, in what? Spirit and truth for such people the Father seeks. He desires this to be His worshipers. So, why do you worship God? Why do you come to church? Why do you have times of private worship? What are the right reasons? Well, we get an idea when we look at Exodus 32. The people of Israel are down below and Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments for ten days. And the people want to worship, so they cry out for a golden calf. They want an image of God, so they get this golden calf. They're making Yahweh into a golden calf as a visible representation of God. And believe it or not, it's you know the right God, but the wrong way. And they're also imitating the, the practices of the culture around them with their pagan rites and uh, basically their religious practices of their fertility rites. And so it says in Exodus 32, they actually gave themselves up and rose up to play, which means they gave themselves an orgy to worship the one true God. Now, I don't think they wanted to throw God away, but they're trying to do it the way the culture is and the way they wanted a physical manifestation of Him, just like the Egyptians had, and they really are blowing it here. But before we get too judgmental, are we kind of guilty, and can we do the same thing? Can we make God external instead of who He is? Uh, You know, before we get too judgmental, we want Jesus, we want God... Uh, We're not ready to worship Buddha or Confucius or worship our our ancestors, uh, but we want our Lord, our wonderful, majestic, King of Kings, awesome Jehovah, but at times we act just like the Israelites. We want a God who becomes a little more tangible, so we turn church into a social club and meet our friends, meet new people, a fashion show, a singles club, and, and entertainment on a dull weekend. So what we have now in Christendom, especially in, even in the Christian church, it's become a political platform for social reform instead of hearing God's word. It becomes a monastery for modern monks to remove themselves and we hide away from our culture. The church has become a, a self-image center and it's a weekend to feel good about ourselves or a, a stage for some megalomaniac to perform for his devoted audience or a coliseum to attack other people, or to be a two-hour religious routine to kind of help us with our guilt and remove that and to be our quieting our conscience so we're not so overwhelmed by it and play Christian games. Why do you go to church? It's so important that you would, you would ask yourself and answer that question honestly. Is it for friends? Is it because you have to? Your parents make you? Or is it good business, or you get fed so well you don't have to feed yourself the rest of the week, or keep the kids out of trouble, or do you come to church to lift your eyes to the Lord in worship? To together, as you've been doing individually and as a family all week long, to honor Him. So what's the right reason to worship? The answer can be found when you study the original meaning of the words worship here in these verses in John 4. There's two of them. One is proskuneo, and that means to kiss towards. 
It means what you would see in some ancient movies where you'd bow down and kiss the hand of a monarch or to bow down to them, prostrate yourself. The other word is latruo, and that means to render honor, to pay homage, to serve as a slave serves his master. And the English word for worship means to give worth, to give worthship, to extend worthship to God himself. Now, the reason that we come to church is because God is worthy. Amen to that? That's why we come. That's why we come. The reason we focus as a way of life is that God is worthy of all of our devotion and all of our focus. The reason we forget that is because we have forgotten how helpless and hopeless we were. I mean, where would we be if without God's mercy and grace in our lives? Uh, I mean, we've forgotten how deserving of hell we really are, that we should be there for all eternity. And yet God, in His mercy, awoken us and saved us and drew us to Himself. We've forgotten just how sinful we really are, how rebellious we really are, and how holy and righteous just God. We forgot who He is. You know, the reason you exist is because He created you. The reason that you would even be here today, uh, for most of you, would be that He caused you to be born again. So He not only gave you life, but eternal life. He saved you, even though you didn't deserve it. You know what He did? He loved you to the point of having to kill His own son. Death. He loved you to death. He loved you so much, He gave you mercy, which means mercy. He gave you and didn't give you what you do deserve. Judgment. He gave you grace, which means He gave you what you don't deserve. Mercy. Kindness, salvation, that's why we worship of who He is, how great He is. Understand, we're to bow down before Him, kiss His hand, honor Him because of who He is, offer ourselves in His service to His honor. Worship is ascribing to God Himself His worth, stating His worth, affirming His value. Is He beyond even your comprehension to do that? Yes, He is. Do you grasp what that means? Attending church does not mean you're worshiping. Singing songs does not mean you're worshiping. Listening to a sermon does not mean you're worshiping. Why? Because worship isn't just doing something in the name of God. I get this now. It's me wanting from my heart to express to God His worth. It's me stating from my heart to God His worth. It's singing to God, ready, from my heart, His worthiness. It's listening to His voice through His word in order to why? To respond with my life dependently because He is worthy to be known, worthy to be loved, and worthy that I would obey Him because of all He's done according to the truth. When we come to church for our corporate worship today, it's important to be excited about seeing one another because we're all a part of the same family. Would you look at your neighbor really quick? Go ahead, look at them. Quick, look at them. They're family if they know Jesus. And you're going to be with them, don't let this scare you, forever! They're going to be perfect too, by the way, and really enjoyable to be around. Okay? But you know what? The overwhelming motivation, that's not wrong that we would enjoy each other. But the overwhelming motivation is because I'm coming to church to affirm to my God from my heart how worthy, how awesome, and how wonderful He really is. Amen?
That's why we're here. It's our time to corporately gather together and all of us telling God together with our songs, telling Him with our prayers, telling Him with our offerings, telling Him with our desire to be obedient, to step out of obedience, how much He means to us. That's why we obey. That's why we offer Him songs. So many of us have got the wrong idea about worship. We think it's about getting. It's not about getting. Church is good if I get something out of it. It's true. Entertainment, interesting, fun, something new that I've learned. Church is good if I get something out of it. And it's nice when that happens that way, but that isn't what church is all about. Church is about corporately worshiping, and worship is all about coming to God to give to Him. Let me make a statement that will scare you. Are you ready? Worship is not about affecting the worshiper. Worship it is actually about how God responds to your worship. Let me say it another way to make it clearer. The most important thing about worship is not the effect it has upon the one who worships you, upon you. The most important thing about worship is the effect it has on God, the one we worship. Are you tracking with me? It's about Him, not you. Read with me Psalm 29, verse 2. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's what? Do His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. So are you worshiping the right God? Are you worshiping for the right reasons? And number three, are you worshiping the right way? The right way on the backside. Thank you for turning your notes over. Look at John again. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, this third class citizen, not a Jew, worse than a Jew. And if you wanted to worship the right way back in Jesus' day, you'd go to Jerusalem and you'd ask for a priest. That's what you do. But the Jews would not allow that for the Samaritans. They said no to those hated half-breeds. So the Samaritans developed their own way, their own place to worship. And that's why the woman asked this, my paraphrase, look at verse 20. Basically she says, Our fathers say the right worship is to worship at this mountain, Mount Gerizim. Again, you're at the woman at the well. That well is there today. You look up if there was no church there and you would see Mount Gerizim right there. But you say, Jesus, the right way to worship is only in Jerusalem. That's her accusation. He's just confronted her about her five husbands. And her heart is changing. She's aware that her sin is actually condemning her. And she's beginning to realize that worship is not the place that matters, but the heart of the matter. Her heart. So Jesus, as he answers her question, he's so brilliant. He's perfect. He answers her question about the correct location for worship in verse 21, but he points to her heart, not the place. He turns the conversation to her heart. What's he say in verse 21? Look at it. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Get it? It's not there. It's not a place for worship. It's not. It's a way of life. It's, it's we everywhere. It, we worship in the church, yeah, but that's not the only place we worship. Again, a gym. Uh, a football stadium, the pack, it doesn't matter. A church building, a tent. That's the point. Lady, it's not where you worship. Ready? It's who and how you worship. So how do we worship our God the right way? Well, look at verse 24. Look what he says. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in, say it out loud, spirit and truth. Let me explain that. The context makes it really clear. These two truths, two things. Number one, true worship The worship that God seeks from you, He wants from you, He wants this, is not hampered by physical externals. The moment 
that you start defining worship externally, you've gone the wrong direction. You have. It's not. It's not whether you pray in this place or that place, verse 21. It is motivated by the internal heart offering of all that we are. You are made up of body and, say it, spirit. When you die, the separation of your immaterial spirit, who you really are, separates from your body. That's why the body doesn't do anything. Your spirit is all who you are. And he's saying, I want your spirit. I want your spirit worshiping all of you. It's all of you in spirit. And then in truth. True worship is not guided by our own desire. Who God is making up our own ideas about Jesus like the Samaritans did and their own ideas about worship. Verse 22, but it operates fully by the definitive knowledge of God as revealed in the word of God. It is God accurately worshipped or understood from His Word. Spirit, all of you, who you are, and truth. What does God the Father seek from you and I? Let me say it again. To render such homage to God that our entire heart, our spirit, our whole being enters the act. Listen, are you ready? He wants you. He wants all of you. Not part of you, not your offerings, not your praise, not, not just hearing a sermon, not just being here. He wants you. You are the offering. You. And when you worship Him in spirit, you're saying, all of me for you. All of me for all of you. You gave far more than I could ever give back, but I'm giving all of me. Secondly, to perform this process only in complete harmony with the truth about God revealed in His Word. Truth. Spirit and truth. This kind of worship will not only be spiritual instead of physical, inward instead of outward, but directed to the true God described in the Bible. Real worship is found in the combination of a humble, spiritual heart attitudes balanced with truth and doctrinal soundness. Those two things. A true worshiper, write this down, is a burning heart with biblical truth, spirit and truth. A burning heart with biblical truth. You know what that means. Corporate worship is not what most people think it is. It's crazy. They go, oh, let's get to worship now. They mean praise. That's not worship. Worship is you offering yourself. Say it with me. And said, do it personal now. It's me offering all of me. Say it with me. Ready? It's me offering all of me to God according to truth. Many people understand worship and the truth as a casual to formal activity that takes place maybe once a week on a Sunday. It's often seen as a form or a style or an external or a kind of dress rather than a heart truth response to God. You know that worship is not stimulated by gimmicks? Uh, Some churches insert in their notice uh, in their bulletin telling people not to talk when they come into the worship center. At FBC, we can't get you to stop talking when you come into the worship center. But understand, that was supposed to be funny, but you guys, I don't know, it's not cutting it today. That has nothing to do with real worship. Worship is not energized by artificial methods. It isn't. If you feel you have to have some formalized ritual or a certain kind of mood music to worship, what you do isn't worship. It's you, spirit and truth, offering all of you according to the truth. Liturgy can help, it can assist, or express a worshiping heart, but listen, Those externals cannot make a non-worshipping heart into a worshipping one. Are you with me on that? 
Externals don't do that. Certain styles of music don't make the difference. Certain choruses, certain hymns, certain instruments, certain quietness, certain lights or darkness or traditions. As soon as you go external, you, that's not what makes worship. It's you offering yourself. The cruel factor in worship in the church is not the form of worship. It's the state of the hearts of the individual saints. Our worship this morning is only as good as our hearts are before God today. Did you get that? It's only as good as our hearts are before God. If our corporate worship isn't the expression of our individual worshiping lives, it's unacceptable to God. You can be here and not worship. It's your heart that needs to be engaged. Do you worship God the right way? Your heart engaged in worship, not just going through the motions. In order to understand the right way to worship God, be a worshiper that the Father seeks. View your life as an offering. You say, if I want to get this right, you're an offering. You are offering who? Who are you offering? Yourself. You. You're giving it to the Lord. Psalm 98 verse 8, 96 verse 8, sorry, says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship is not to be considered chiefly as getting from the Lord, but giving an offering. What's our offering? Well, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 says, We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then you take your commentary and your coordinates and concordance, and you look up spiritual sacrifices, and you'll find Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, which say that your spiritual sacrifices are a sacrifice of praise. So when you are worshiping in praise, watch this, and your heart's engaged in giving yourself to the Lord, that's worship. When you're offering praise and your heart and mind are wandering hither and yonder, that's not worship. Are you tracking? That's what he's saying. And he says, when we offer good deeds, when we serve other people, and we do that from a heart that desires to honor Christ, that's true worship. But when we do that in our own strength, it's not. Hebrews 13, 16, sharing an offering, and sharing in an offering. Even Romans 15, 16, our evangelistic work is an offering. When that's done for him from a heart that wants to please him. And my favorite, Romans 12, 1, which kind of summarizes everything. He says what? What is worship? You are a living, say it, sacrifice. What are you doing? You're sacrificing yourself. You're living, you're alive, but you're putting yourself on the altar. You are offering yourself to God as a living offering to Him. Do you worship the right way? As a way of life, giving your entire life to God. Not just waiting to Sunday, but every day. Every moment, every action as offering it to Him. That's worship. That's what He's seeking from you. That's what He wants from you. Psalm 47 verse 7 adds, Sing ye praises with understanding. It's never just an ecstatic experience. It's never no meaning or content. The worship is not a good feeling apart from the comprehension of truth. Worship is an expression of praise from the heart toward a God whose understanding as He truly is revealed. There are some people who go, worship is when you lose control and you lose your mind. And that's not what Jesus said. He said, it's all of you offering yourselves according to what? Truth. The truth of God's word. The nature of worship is to offer God worship from the depths of our inner being in praise, in prayer, in song, in giving, in living, always based on the revealed word of God. Worship involves the word 
and the spirit. It involves the head and the heart, the will and the emotion, uh, the mind and the body, all of you. We are to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our everything. That's what he's saying. Everything is offered to him. So let's take this home, all right? Track with me. Here you go. How can we please God with our worship? Letter A, worship God anywhere, anytime, in every way. Worship God anytime, anywhere, in every way. Since Jesus declares that worship is not a place, it's not a style, it's not a kind of music, it's not an instrument, I believe if Christ were here physically right now, standing in front of you, he would say to us, the Father is seeking your worship. And who can worship him? And those who can worship him anytime, anywhere, with any style. Because you're offering yourself. It doesn't matter if it's loud or soft, celebrative or meditative, traditional or contemporary, with raised hands, clapping hands, folded hands, no hands. Worship God standing or sitting, heads raised, heads bowed, quiet singing, or just in the Psalms, hallelujah praises. Anybody with me? It doesn't matter. It's your heart offering yourself to Him. Worship the Father anywhere, anytime, all the time, in every way, at work, at school, at, at, at play, with your, with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents. Never pass up an opportunity. Listen, some of you are going through incredible trials. As soon as that trial hits, you say, Lord, this trial is yours. I offer it to you, and now I want to worship you through this trial. That's what makes Christians unique. They worship Him with everything they have. The good, the bad, the, all the things that they're going through, it's offered to Him and they live for Him. Letter B, worship God with your first and best. Your first and best. Don't go external on me. When you seek to worship the Lord in private or public, since He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, your Creator, the all-powerful, sovereign God, is He involved in every nuance of your life, yes or no? Come on, is he involved in every nuance in your life? He's provident, friends. He's controlling all the variables of your life. He works all things together for good. He is there, intense. Listen, offer that to him. Give him your first and best in everything. Sing with all your heart. Some of you are going, I never have been able to sing on key than sing a joyful noise. When it's from your heart, to him, he is massively pleased. We may be struggling and holding our ears, but God is massively pleased. Amen? When it's from your heart. Joyful noise. Listen, give your first and best offering. Be intense in prayer. Be focused in prayer. Concentrate on the word. Take notes, not because of the external element, but because you want to talk to God. You want to hear his word. You want to make plans to be a doer of the word because he's worthy of our worship. Go to bed on Saturday night. It's so great that it's daylight savings and we get an extra hour. Today was awesome. I wish that was every Sunday. Every Sunday we get an extra hour. I don't know how that works out, but listen. Get to bed a little early. Come ready to offer yourself. To share. To praise. To give your whole life. Let her see. Worship God with your head and your heart. There are some people, they just go way over on the emotional side and they're looking for an experience apart from truth. Don't do that. Don't look for an experience apart from truth. And don't look for truth 
apart from a passionate heart. Listen, if somehow there's not ever an emotional response, then you're not offering all of you. Because are you an emotional being, yes or no? So somehow your heart's going to be engaged in some way emotionally. Not all the time. Emotions come and go, I'm telling you. But somehow it's not going to be divorced from that. Don't show up 20 minutes, you know, late so you can hear the sermon. That, that does not worship. Worship is prayer and praise. And avoid the extremes of all head scripture and all heart experience. Give both spirit and truth to the Lord. All of you, according to the word. There was a newspaper account of a christening party. It's a Catholic thing in a wealthy Boston suburb and the party was moving along well and everybody's having a great time and then somebody said, well, where's the baby? You know, the star of the show, this is all about him and the mother's heart leapt and she ran back upstairs remembering where they left the baby on the master bedroom on the bed and there when she opened the doors was a gigantic pile of coats. True story. She pulled all the coats off and there underneath was the baby and the baby had suffocated. The very reason for the celebration had been ignored. It was all a big party, but the center of that party died. And I wonder, could that be analogous to us? When we come together to do all what we're supposed to do as church and to worship Him according to the New Testament design, but we've forgotten that we're worshiping Christ and offering Him, and the focus is Him, our great God and Savior. Don't miss your reason for being here. Don't be, be warned. You, you cannot worship God unless you're in Christ, which means you've got to be a Christian. And you need forgiveness. You, you are in rebellion to God and He is angry at your sin and your sin has got to be taken care of. It's going to keep you from a relationship with Him unless your sin by faith falls on Christ and it's punished there by God the Father and then He can cover you with His righteousness and the miracle of the action of, of justification where He makes you right, He transforms you internally and gives you a new life. You are not going to ever worship Him. If you're a non-Christian, your worship is unacceptable even from your heart. Because your heart needs to be made new. You need to turn to Christ. Christians, you need to repent. If you fall into the routine that you forgot why you're here, that we're lifting Him up, and it's not about what we do or the style in which we do it, it's about Him. It's about Him. Get, repent of anything that distracts you and distracts your heart and, and that, that where you don't give God your best from your heart. And if you would, would you seek this week? I'm not talking about tomorrow morning. Some of you going to work. Some of you are retired. Some of you have a spouse you've got to take care of or parents or kids. There's a lot. Some of you are going to school. That's to be offered to Him too. You worship Him in those situations. you saying, I want to honor you and please you and worship you in this life as well. Worship doesn't just occur here. It's our way of life. And the Lord is seeking your worship. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you truly would be the God that we worship and that we would become better worshipers at FBC because of your challenge from your word in John 4. Thank you for it being recorded for us. 
We pray that you would be pleased with how we respond to you. And Father, again, for that one or two maybe who don't know you, would you begin to draw them to yourself? Just ask them and move in them that they would cry out to you so they could have faith and repentance and know what it means to be saved, born again, and to worship the true God with their very life. Uh, Father, we are definitely imperfect worshipers, all of us. But we know that you can be pleased no matter what we do as we repent and we worship you from our hearts and we offer everything to you, even our trials. We, Father, we say thank you for what you did and what you've done. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.